all right? It's called MOVE, propelling your most important relationship forward. I know that we have a lot of married couples in here, but also there's a lot of singles as well. And if you're single, I want you to know that there's some aspects of this message that will apply to your normal everyday relationships as well. So don't tune out, okay? This is applicable, I think, for all of us, but especially I am praying and, and, and conforming this to, to married couples. But um, if you look at that title, it says MOVE, propelling your most important relationship forward. And it's, it's singular, your most important relationship. Because when you get married, your most important relationship is with your spouse. And that never changes. Over time, it never changes. No matter if there's life change, if you're changing your career for your eighth time, if you're moved to a different location, if you um, uh, change jobs, um, it, you change the, your, your hairstyle, the kind of music you listen to, whatever, it doesn't matter. Your spouse and your relationship with your spouse is always going to be the singular, the most important relationship in your life other than God. And um, God said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, you don't need to turn there for now, but he said this. He said that's for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife, united with his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And I know we've probably heard that verse before if you've been to a lot of weddings. We've, yeah, the two will become, they become one flesh. But I, I want you to think about it for a moment, all right? There's no other relationship described in the Bible. There's no friendship, you know, there, there's no BFF, there's no beau, there's no honey boo, there's no childhood friend, there's no cousin, brother, sister, mom or dad. There's no other relationship in Scripture that's defined in such intimate terms. So marriage is the most, one of the most unique relationships, the most special relationships we have because it's also and we have and we also know that's one of the most difficult relationships and so the reason why this particular series is called move is because even in the best marriages and some of the most long-lasting ones and even in some of the most healthy marriages at some times or another we can feel stuck we can feel like we're stuck There'll be times where your intimacy feels like it's plateaued. It feels like maybe you guys go out for dinner and the conversation just stops maybe after three sentences. The sparks that used to ignite your marriage, they feel like ashes. And it's not that things are horrible. It's not that things are totally, you know, in despairing. Because at the same time, you might know that, like, things could be worse. That's what you think. Well, they could be worse. Because you know of other couples where you're, they're stuck in bitterness, they're stuck in unforgiveness, uh, they're stuck in anger, they're stuck in, they can't trust their other partner for different reasons, they're stuck in doubt, you're in doubt about the relationship. And so what I want you to know today is that stuck is, is not where God wants you to be. That with God, there's always this redemptive arc. With God, there's always this path forward. With God, there's always this light at the tunnel. With God, there's always this movement of love that wants to propel you forward out of being stuck. Stuck is not where God wants husbands and wives to be. So you actually, you can go ahead and turn now to Genesis, uh, beginning at chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. And 
it's this great picture of man getting unstuck. All right? And so when you turn to, go to Genesis chapter 2, what we do is we, we see God as the great matchmaker. And he creates Adam out of the clay and the dirt of the earth. And then one day, God asks Adam to do something really interesting. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to stand here, and I'm going to bring all the animals to come in front of you. And what I want you to do is, as you see these animals, I want you to name them, all right? And so what would happen is that as Adam would see the animals come by, he would see that there was a male animal and there was a female. There were these counterparts in the kingdom. And God did this. Why did he do that? God did this so that Adam would recognize, would somehow see, because he didn't have, he didn't see it. He didn't understand it. He didn't know what was missing. He did it so that he would recognize that, wait a minute, there's like a, a male and female counterparts to different parts of the animal kingdom, but there's no counterpart for me. And you would think, like, how come Adam couldn't see that? How come Adam could see there was no female? Uh, he didn't even tell he was, how could he not know he was stuck, right? So how could a guy be like that, right? And, I mean, the question is, you know, I don't know, is your, is your husband always Mr. Obvious? right? <laughs> we don't always know. We don't always see where we are. And so God had to visually put Adam in a position so he could see that there was no female counterparts to him. And so, as the story goes, it says this, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took, a, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And so that, that's the scene that's being set up for us is that he's been seeing this, and somehow he's, Adam is being moved, that there's something missing in his life. He's stuck in a place he didn't know he was stuck before. And so God takes the rib out and then forms uh, the woman, and he hasn't seen it yet, but then he brings her to the man. He kind of does like the same thing. And then the man said, this, and so when he sees Eve for the first time, this is now, he exclaims, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of Man, and I love this, and I know this, this might sound weird, but this, this passage in, in Genesis here, this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It, it really is, and there's nothing like specific, like really like deeply theological about this, but this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. The reason why is this. Think about this. The very first words uttered by a human that's recorded in our sacred text, okay? The Bible, and we love the Bible, and it's redemptive, and it's gospel, you know, through and through, from beginning to end, okay? But the very first human words that are recorded in our text, sacred scripture, okay? The very first human words is a love song. It's poetry from a man to a woman. He's saying, bone of my bones, Flesh of my flesh. This is the first recorded human words. I love you, and you belong to me. That's something deep within the human heart. That's all that Ed Sheeran sings about, right? 
Adam, in this moment, he realizes, like, I'm no longer stuck. He was moved. And when he saw Eve, he saw his counterpart, he was moved in his heart to create. And he created poetry. And he sang it. The very first words recorded in Scripture is poetry. It's a love song from a man to a woman. I, I love that. And another way to put it for the message, title of the message today is that love does. Is that love does. Is that love results in action. You can have action without love, but you can't have love without action. Let me say that one more time. You can have action without love, but you can't have love without action. And so I was thinking about this because that's what the principle here in Scripture is saying, is that when you're love, when you love, you're moved to action. When you're love, when you love, you move, your heart moves to create. When you're in love, your heart moves to initiate something, to be assertive. And, and so I was thinking about this because I, I've done so many weddings over, uh, you know, the 15 years here at SCAC. And uh, I was thinking about specifically the wedding vows, because today, most couples, I would say all couples, write their own wedding vows. Uh, when Angel and I, we, uh, we got married, we were married almost 19 years ago, and when we did our wedding vows, again, we, we also decided we were going to do our own wedding vows in our own words to make our promises our own promises to make them personal to us. So we started the trend. We are way ahead of the curve, okay? You can thank us. But I've, I haven't been to, I've only been to maybe, I think, one wedding that I can remember where they use the traditional vows and where you repeat after me, those things. But the reason we don't do that anymore, why, why, why is that? How come we, we've moved away from that? I think we've moved away from that because those vows, those traditional vows, which there's nothing wrong with them, but they're not personal enough. They're not specific enough. Because when you're promising lifelong love and commitment to someone, you want to make it really specific. You want to make it really personal to the things that you want, you're committing to. Because if, if I'm correct, if, what's, if what Scripture is saying is correct, that you can have action without love, but you can't have love without action, then you should be to, then I, I figured that I should be able to go back to all of those wedding vows, and I would see specific, actionable applications of love. I would be able to go back to those wedding vows and see specific promises of what I am going to do that demonstrate my love for you. Does that make sense? Like, there should be some really practical things in there. And so, because um, everyone sends their vows to me, I take a look at them. I actually have everyone's vows, all 30-some couples, okay? So, I didn't go back to look, I didn't go back to see all of them, but I just went back and took a look at a few of them. And I was looking for, okay, if this is real, if love always results in action, then I'm going to see some very specific things that people promise to other people. All right? So I'm going to show some of them to you. Is that okay? All right? These were made public anyway. I didn't ask for permission. You made these promises before me, before God and others. It's public. It's out there. Okay? So here we go. All right? We're going to look for some really specific things of what love does, of where the action is. Okay? So here's, here's the first vow. This, one, this person said this, I promise to cook you healthy meals, but still let you eat your bag of cotton candy once in a while. Okay? That's pretty good, right? Really specific. I promise to help you do chores around the house, 
even, wow, yeah, this is an extra step, even some yard work occasionally, right? I promise, here's another one. I mean, this is a very specific thing. I promise if I do get angry, because we all get angry, right, I won't go and open all your transformers, okay? So that one probably gave it away of who this person was. But I love that because it's very specific. I'm going to cook you healthy meals, you know, cotton candy once in a while. I'm going to do some chores, even some yard work. I mean, these are, this isn't to have and to hold, to death work. These are very specific, actionable things of love. And even there's a limit on my anger. I love that. I won't get, you know, get angry, but there's a limit. I'm not going to go and, you know, there, obviously there's some kind of idolatry in this person's life with transformers. And so I'm not going to touch those. Good stuff, right? Who is this person? Anyone know? All right, it's Minda to Jason, all right? Let's look at another one. Really good. I promise to show you every day exactly how lucky I am to have you in my life, not to ever take you for granted, and to express my appreciation for all the things that you do. You strengthen my weaknesses. You bring focus to my dreams. I promise to you, my heart, and this, is, this, this one is so important, that your dreams become my dreams really good. That your dreams, he's looking at another person, that your dreams become my dreams, no matter where life leads us. Home is wherever I am with you. And I think that's so important because a lot of times, I mean, really, as, especially as a single, my dreams are my dreams, and we want everyone else to support my dreams. That's how we think. My dreams are my dreams, and I want you, because God brought you to be, I want you to be a helper to my dreams. But I love the mutuality because love does, and love is actionable, and love is other-centric. Saying that your dreams, those are going to be my dreams too. And they didn't promise the other thing. I, I don't know, but your dreams are going to be my dreams too. Really, really actionable. So, uh, and who was that? That was Ed to Andrea. Good job, Ed. Good job. All right. Uh, 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 some more. Another one. I promise to encourage you, respect you, and challenge you. I promise never to intrude. Someone actually said never in their vows. Wow, that's amazing, okay? I promise to never intrude on your bromances, playing Xbox with John Chan, biking with John, Solomon, or Roy. I made it into someone's personal vows. I feel so, so honored. But look at that, all right? So specific. These are actual vows. These are real vows, okay? So who was that? Anyone know that? That was... Esther to Dottie, okay? And so Esther, uh, usually in the back there, I want you to know that we have at least four biking trips planned this summer. So thank you for working around my schedule. I really appreciate that with your uh, vacation plans, okay? But again, you see how specific these things are? Like if you really love, there's always action that's demonstrated. Another one, I promise I will always love and support you. I promise that I'll always protect provide for you, put your needs before my own. It's a daily thing that we struggle with that we need to do. I promise I will always be thankful and appreciative for everything you do. Beautiful, beautiful vows. Who's that? That was our latest couple. Just uh, You guys are married like three weeks or something. Chris Sandra. Awesome, awesome. Good job. Good job, guys. Good job, Chris. All right, another one. Here's, here's a really good one. I promise not to schedule other commitments during Seahawks games. Hey, these are real vows, all right? And yes, we can go to Toronto someday so that we can try and meet Drake. Wow. I mean, that's super specific, okay? These are real vetting vows. Who's that? 
That was Rebecca to Evan, okay? All right, last one, last one. I promise to lift you up when you need a hand, to have patience when we get angry with one another. Now, this is really specific, these next ones. To listen intently to what you have to say and to wait to give my opinion. You know, if couples did this, just that sentence right there, we wouldn't need half the counselors that we have today if they would just do that. Um, I promise to be your biggest source of joy and happiness, to be a great mother to our future children, and to continue to make you laugh even when we are old and gray. I just love the longevity and the commitment in that last sentence. That was a great, that was a great uh, wedding vow. Who's that? Who said that? That was Tara to Kevin. Awesome. And these are so great, right? And some of you who, you know, who are here that have, you know, those, those were your vows, you know, you might be thinking, what was I thinking, you know, when I said that? Or, Why did I promise that? Uh, it's recorded for all time, okay? And uh, you're really in trouble if you're like, wait, did I say that? Were those my vows? Yeah, that's when you're really in trouble. But these vows, they prove the point from Scripture, is that love is measurable. Love is measurable. Love is measured by action, and action produces movement. Love is measured by action, and action produces movement. You want to know how to get unstuck if you're stuck? Action. Spurred by love. That creates movement in your marriage. See, look, the worst thing that a couple can do is when you both know you're stuck and no one says anything. The worst thing that a couple can do is you have these arguments and you're always up in the same place. It's like, I'm, I'm here again. I'm feeling the same things again. Or I feel like we've, we've had this argument before over and over again and no one says anything. You always feel like you're coming back to the same place in your marriage. You always feel like you're stuck. That's the worst thing that a couple can do is to say nothing when you both know somehow in your spirit that you're both stuck and no one says anything. No one addresses the elephant in the room. And the problem with no one addressing the elephant in the room is that the elephant will eventually trample your marriage because, and trample you because you won't move because you're stuck. And so when you're stuck, you need to focus on this, this one quality that produces action, and it's this. It's to be assertive. You need to practice and practice assertiveness. So let's, can we just say that word together? Assertive, one, two, three, assertive. Okay, one more time, assertive. Okay, now say it one more time with assertiveness. Okay, ready? One, two, three, assertive. You need to practice assertiveness. Now, let me just define assertiveness just a little bit for you before we, before we move on. Assertiveness in marriage is not an ego-fueled monologue demanding selfish, your selfish requirements. That, that's not what assertiveness is in marriage. Now, you've seen a lot of assertiveness at work. You've seen a overbearing assertiveness, um, you know, maybe uh, somewhere out in the public sphere, you know. Uh, I talked about my McDonald's rant last week, right? 
But in marriage, assertiveness is different. Assertiveness is the spark for doing love. Assertiveness asks your spouse. Assertiveness is curious about your spouse, wondering what do they need, and actually literally asking your spouse, what do you need? What can I do differently? All right? That's one aspect of assertiveness. Another aspect of, of assertiveness when it comes to your spouse is being able to tell your spouse, this is what I need. This is what I need. And it's not coming from a selfish place. Let me just illustrate this. Uh, there's a great book by Tim Keller. Some of you know Tim Keller. He's just a really well-known pastor and um, professor, theologian. He's a pastor up in New York. And he wrote this book called The Meaning of Marriage. And uh, if there's some couples here and you're looking for a really good devotional and good theology as well on marriage, then pick up this book. It's called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. And he shares about this um, really busy, busy season uh, in his life where he's just killing it. Like if he just looked from the outside, it just looks like everything was going well in his life. His ministry was growing. His, uh, his influence is growing. Um, he's one of these guys, amazing guys, where there's never a bad sermon, right? I wish I had that gift, you know? It's like never a bad sermon. It's like, I just can't think of any bad, you know, never had a bad sermon uh, probably in his life. He's always killing it. Um, but what people couldn't see was what was going on on the inside and going on at home. He had his wife named Kathy. He had three kids. And what was happening was that more and more time, of course, was being siphoned away from his family, and uh, he was spending more time outside. And so his wife would gently remind him, would be assertive, and just tell him that, man, you're away from the home too much. Um, but he would hear it, but he wasn't really listening. Or, or he would listen, but he wasn't really acting upon what was, the, the feedback was what was going on. And so this cycle continued for a while, until one day he comes home, and his wife is on the floor, and she's smashing a plate with a hammer, a, a, a piece of china, the hammer, okay? And so he thought that his wife just completely flipped, like she just lost it, right? So he runs over to her, bends down to her, and he's like, what is wrong? What's going on? And so she tells him really calmly the same thing. She tells him really calmly the same thing that she's always been saying before, that you're pursuing something that's outside of her. You're pursuing something that's killing me on the inside. Like you're, you're pursuing something. I, I just need you to know, you need to hear that you're, you're doing something that's, that's killing our marriage. You're doing something that you're pursuing something that's killing our home. You're, you're doing something, you're pursuing something that's killing, she, this is the wife, that's killing me on the inside. This is what she's saying. This is what your pursuit is doing to us. And she takes that hammer and she smashes it again. And that's when Tim, he, he, it, it is in the book, he says that's when it the, the switch flipped in his, his mind. And he says he's realized, you know what, he's just, he had made excuses for so long because it's always busy. When is it not ever, when it is ever not busy? And he knew in that moment for the love of his wife, who was telling, who had been telling these things over and over again, but for the love of his wife, that he needed to take, needed to initiate decisive, drastic action. He needed to be assertive. 
He needed to reprioritize everything in his life, specifically his schedule and his time and his pursuit to pursue in his wife. Because, because why? Because love does. Because love does. Now, after moments of him repenting and trying to bring reconciliation to his wife, he says to his wife, he says this, I thought you were completely gone. I thought you completely lost your mind. How were you able to speak to me so calmly? And she said, well, I was actually always in my, in my right mind. These were the little china plates where the matching teacups had broken years before. And so I didn't need these plates anymore anyway. And so I just got, this is how I got rid of them. She's just smashing them. Now, you can say, Roy, that, that feels like a little manipulative. It feels a little manipulative, all right? But I want to say this. She was absolutely appropriate. She was appropriately assertive and loving because she needed to figure out a way to get through to her husband that what you're doing is killing me and it's killing our family it's killing our relationship you see assertiveness when it comes to marriage it's not self-centered it's not selfish it is a genuine vulnerable vulnerable request for how i need your love what assertiveness is in marriage. It is a genuine, it is a vulnerable request for how I feel like you're not meeting. You're not doing what you said you were going to do. You're not doing what you promised to do. And it's hurting me on the inside. It's killing me. You can't kill a person's soul. Your soul is eternal. But we all know you can wound another person's soul deeply deeply. And what you're doing is wounding me. What you're pursuing is wounding me. And so for married couples here, and we have a lot of different kinds of married couples and th different lengths that, that you all have been married, and I'm one of them there. I'm with you too. And the question is this. What's the one thing that you're doing? What's the one thing that you're pursuing that's hurting your spouse? What's the one thing that you're doing that feels like death? Feels like death to you as, as you're receiving it. Well, what's the one thing that you're doing that you, you kind of know? Maybe you don't have that full awareness, but you just see that your spouse just does not relate to you in the same way that, she, that he or she used to. What's the one thing that you're doing that's hurting your wife. And wives, what's the one thing that you're doing, this thing that you're pursuing that's hurting your husband? And so I have some homework. I have some application for, for couples, all right? The homework you're, this week is this. I want you to write down two things that you really appreciate about your spouse. Write down two things that you super, super, super appreciate about your spouse. Now, for some of you, I know, it's going to be, like, tough. It's going to be like, I don't appreciate anything, all right? I get it. I, I, I understand. I've, we have counseled so many different couples in so many different stages, all right? I get it. And, and so if that's you, just I want you to, just, I want you to think hard. I, I want you to think back five years. I want you to think back ten years. Go far back as you need to in order to say something encouraging about your spouse. That's really important, okay? Because we all need that. So I want you to think about two things that you really appreciate 
about your spouse because that is the person that God put into your life and said, that person is good for you. So do that. And then I want you to write two things about your spouse that is killing you. You feel like it's wounding you on the inside. Write it down. And even if you want to take that moment, probably some of you have those things in mind. And what you want to do is you want to take some time, get babysitters, ask a friend, you know, something like that. And I want you to share those two things this week. Two things that I really appreciate about you. Two things that we feel like it's, it's hurting me. It's hurting me. And all you're doing is you're just practicing assertiveness in marriage. I, I know you guys. You, it's not going to be something that's incredibly like selfish and demanding. No, this is about love. This is about love. And so just to frame that conversation that you might have, okay, remember these words from Ephesians, Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So the idea is you're speaking truth, you have truth, you're going to be forthcoming, but you're also going to be really loving. Now, what's important about this, I want you to understand, and, and is that whenever you're receiving truth, a lot of times it feels, and, and, and love, sometimes the truth doesn't feel like love. Sometimes the truth feels like hate or disdain. Sometimes the truth feels like, she's like he or she is saying something, and I feel like I'm being cut down. And what I want you to know is this, is that even in your relationship with God, sometimes it feels like God is just pruning at you. Sometimes you feel like God is just cutting away, and sometimes we've got to cut away at the brush in order to be able to rebuild the foundation and rebuild the roots. And so when that happens, and when your wife or your, sp- your husband is telling you the hard thing, it's going to be hard, but don't get offensive. Don't get defensive. <laughs> offensive either, right? Don't get defensive. They're speaking the truth in love, and we need that kind of maturity to hold that. And then it also says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be beneficial to those who listen. Okay? And then what you do is once you've been able to talk through that, and for some of you, if you need like a third party there, all right, you can call me, you can call Tongue. We actually trained as, you know, uh, Lisa, Herman, Laura, uh, Jason, Emily, we've had, we, I've trained several different uh, couples of how to do some premarital counseling and counseling, and just they can be there for, for that session, okay? But I want you to begin pursuing those. Make that a part of your everyday priority of things that I can do that I can strengthen and that are encouraging to my partner, that I can, that I can work on and strengthen that. And at the same time, I'm going to be assertive in switching around and changing around whatever it is that I've been doing that my wife or, or husband's been telling me has been killing me. I'm going to make an effort to change that completely around. And here's the thing that I've found, okay? Everything that I've described to you about the difficulty of that particular conversation is what I've experienced in my own marriage, Okay, and I don't know what it is, but guys, sometimes we're just not Mr. Obvious. And a lot of times it's Angel telling me, like, this is where it hurts. This is what you're doing. This is what you're pursuing. And I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. I'm always thinking everything's good. That's just me. That's just part of my personality. It's funny because when I always describe our first year of marriage, I always think of our first year of marriage like, our oh, first year of marriage was awesome. We moved from uh, uh, um, Maryland 
uh, to Texas. We didn't have any family there. We were starting our own lives together. We were pursuing a seminary and everything. It was so good. And I just was uh, doing the Asian thing, and I was living with my parents all the way up to the age I got married, which was like 27 or 28, to, just to save money. So I've been living at home my whole life, and then finally have all this freedom in a new state in another city, and we were having so much fun. And I always describe as having so much fun. And then, but then I just have these memories of like, oh, Angel, why are you crying all the time? You know? It's like, what's, what's going on? You know? And then I would have to talk to her. Like, she would tell me, like, yeah, Roy, you know, you're kind of doing all these things, and you're neglecting me here. And we were part of a church plant, and I was so busy. And like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. And um, this, this is what I've found, okay? is that the request when your wife or your husband is trying to say something of, of being assertive of what they need from you, especially when they're telling you what they need from you, in that moment, you're going to take it defensively. In that moment, you don't like it. You're like, you're, that doesn't make sense to me. That's not like my love language. That, that, that You're being unreasonable. That's outrageous. That's, you know, what I have found, okay, is that what your partner says they need from you, if you follow through with that, you will find that it is just as beneficial to you as it is to them. In fact, it might even become more beneficial to you than it is for them. You just didn't know it at the time why God gives us each other as a gift, to open up those blind spots that we would normally see, to say things that others would never say to you, no matter how much they love you, because only your spouse knows you so well to give you the truth and love that you need. And what I've learned time and time again, there's always that point where I'm trying to tell Angel something, or Angel's trying to tell me something, and it's hard for me to receive, but when I go back, and I go back to God and just humble myself, and say, I don't always know, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I begin to follow through and turn that around and do things that will be loving to her, do things that I don't want to hurt her anymore. I find that those things are the things that I need just as much for myself. Those things were as beneficial, if not more beneficial to me, than they were for her. Trust me on that. Go through with that. And to see your spouse also respond when you're beginning to do things that fill them with love also begins to fill you with so much gratitude and love. Because to see someone grow in your love is just one of the greatest, greatest joys. And another thing you'll notice is that when you start practicing these things and when your wife or your husband is telling you, these are the things that I need. These aren't like the huge things. They're not going to be so dramatically great and big that you can't do them. Most of the times, these are small things. And it's the little things that we tend to neglect in marriage that lead to the big ex exits. It's the little exits that we neglect in our marriage that lead to the big exits. Uh, one of the things, again, when I, when I was reading through the, these, these vows is I noticed there were three big themes that stood out. So on all the vows I read, there were three big themes that stood out, okay? The first one was obviously love. 
and what we do with love. And that love was all about giving preference to the other person. You were going to be assertive in giving preference to what their needs were. That's what love does, right? That action. The second was some type of spiritual direction, some type of spiritual headship that you're going to spiritual protection that somehow we want to, I want to be led by God and that God's going to be the leader of our marriage. That was the second commitment that I saw. The third commitment was uh, in Ed's was supporting dreams. There was a lot of talk about dreams, a lot of talk about hope for the future. I think that's normal for, for young couples, right? And hopefully that never stops. But there's this idea that we are going to support each one another with these three basic things, love, and we're going to do for each other, and we're going to have spiritual aspects of leadership, and there's going to be these supporting dreams. We're going to be for each other. These are the big promises. These are the significant promises. Look, no one just wakes up one day and says, you know what? I'm just not going to love my spouse anymore. Nobody does that. Nobody wakes up one day and says, you know, I'm just not going to leave. I'm just not going to leave my family spiritually anymore. No one does that. No one wakes up one day and says, you know, my wife's dreams, my husband's dreams, I'm just, you know, they're just, they're ridiculous. I'm not going to invest in those anymore. Those are the big exits. When that happens, those are divorce statements. Those are big exits when that happens. But that's not how unhealthy or unassertive marriages work. It's the little exits. It's the being stuck in that one place where the little exits happen over and over again that lead up to the big exits. So the little exits are like this. A little exit says, you know, I'm not going to cook and clean <laughs> anymore. You go take care of yourself. I've got a lot of other busy things i got to do. It's the little exits that say you're not worthy of respect. Stop spending time on unimportant things. And, you know, your dreams aren't that, aren't that great. They're, they're, just, they're just out there. It's not realistic. It's the little exits where gratitude and appreciation are no longer expressed. It's the little exits where we have no patience for each other. It's the little exits where we stop listening to each other. It's the little exits where we stop empathizing. It's the little exits where you begin making fun of your spouse's dreams, just not taking them seriously anymore. It's the little exits where you begin to, ne you begin to neglect your own spiritual health and you lose sight of how important that is for your spouse and for your family. And so whether it's the big exits or the little exits, what we need to remember is that love, is that love does. Love takes action to protect what you love. Love takes initiative and assertiveness to grow what you love. Love takes assertiveness and sacrifice for those whom God gave you and to whom you stood before God and a pastor and somebody in your community and you said with your words, this is what I promise and this is what I vow to do. Love does and love keeps and love does not fail. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> even Jesus, even scripture uh, affirms this principle. Uh, Revelation 20, at the, the very end, the judgment seat, right? You know, there's all the people are coming before, uh, the, the dead, they, they, they all come before God, and there's this great judgment. And the, the picture looks like this uh, in Revelation 20. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were open, the books of the, you know, the people in the book of life, 
And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So it's pretty interesting. I mean, if we take that really literally, it's basically saying that someone up there is a scribe for your life. Someone's actually writing the story of your life right now, you know? So your, your life is a story. And there's, it's amazing. Everything's being recorded. And we're judged, it says in those last lines, according to their deeds. Now, I don't want you to be confused because we just had this series in Romans, right? How are you judged? How are you measured in the sense of like, am I acceptable to God? Well, you're not. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. So I don't want you to be con confused that when we're judged, we, when you come to Christ, you, you receive Christ. He forgives you of your sin. The gospel does a transformative work in your life. And yes, when you die, you go to heaven. But there's this work where it says the way that God really knows that you love, the, the way that God really knows that you've responded to grace and that love has transformed your life is by your action, is by what you did, is what you did in your story. Because anyone can say, I love someone. Anyone can say that I love him, I love her, I love the world, I love this. But if there is no action that follows your love, if there's no, if there's no demonstrable assertiveness of what you did to demonstrate that love, and usually it's going to require some great sacrifice, and Jesus said, there's no love there. And so we're actually judged. The quality of our love is by our actions. And the reason that you are all sitting here the reason is because we took Jesus' words really seriously. And we took Jesus' words not because it's written, God so loved the world, right? Because anyone can say, I love the world. Anyone can say, I love the world. But the reason we take Jesus seriously is because it's written, God so loved the world, and it was demonstrated that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Love was stated. Love was demonstrated. Love was stated. Love was demonstrated. That's how we know that God loves us. Not because of what he said. It's because of what he did. If he did not do anything and just said, I love, none of us would be believers today. None of us would take his love seriously. Because love is always accompanied by action. That's how we know that God's love is real in our lives because we experience his love on a regular basis, daily, his blessings, constant grace over us. And so, so church, today it's just really simple. What, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Are you going to stay stuck? You don't want that. I know you don't want that. Your spouse doesn't want that. Your spouse cannot hold that. Marriages cannot stay stuck for long, for too long. Marriages that are stuck in a rut will fall apart. God doesn't want that for you. God has a pathway of redemption. God has a pathway of reconciliation and love. He wants your marriage to thrive. He wants your marriage to be happy too. <laughs> your spouse, and I hope a lot of couples are sitting together today, the person sitting next to you, who is your spouse, not the stranger, okay? But the person sitting next to you, 
That is the most important relationship in your life. That is the most important relationship in your life. And let me tell you something. When you lean into that relationship more and more, and you have those hard conversations that require a lot of maturity, a lot of openness, and a lot of vulnerability, let me just tell you something. That is the, just the, the greatest source of blessing, the greatest source of transformation and growth in Christ that you have experienced. So don't stay stuck. Don't not have the conversations. You need to have the conversations. Because you're missing out on the greatest love. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how young you are, you can do that. You can have those conversations. And so you need to move. And to move in action in love is to be assertive. Just like a fish, right? A fish needs to move through the water to get oxygen in its gills. You and I, we need to also move in our marriages. We need to be assertive in our marriages, in loving pursuit, in meeting the needs of the one that was so kind, that God was so kind to give to us. The person sitting next to you that is, man, that person is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, right? That's who God gave to us. That person is, that's my everything. That's the person that I will sing about. That's the person I will write poetry for. That's the person that I will launch out with all my passion and energy because I love that person. She or he is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I will do anything to get it right. I'll do anything to make it healthy. I will stop killing your soul because I love you. That's what love does. That's what love does. And so you need to move. You need to move. If you bow heads with me, you need to move. You need to move. And some of you, you, some of you need to move. Just the, your, your initial step isn't necessarily an initial step to your spouse. Some of you, you need to move back to God because that's killing your marriage. Some of you need to then move back to your spouse because whatever things you're pursuing, it's killing your spouse. Some of you need to move back to listening. You're, you're not listening anymore. Some of you need to move back to respecting because the respect isn't there. Some of you need to go back to these basic things of, of honoring. Some of you need to go back and, because you have your vows too, right? You know, you just need to go back and look at your vows. Some of you need to go back to those very basic little things. It's the little things that you promised. It's the little things that you said you were going to sacrifice and be assertive for the one that God gave to you. It was the little promises you, that you made about being the spiritual head of the family that you, you're, you have little exits that you're doing. It's, it's the little things, the promises that you made about being there as the person of the, the cheerleader, the supporter, the, the dream initiator. So that in that space where you and your spouse talk, there's life. There's life. What is the little exit that you're making every day that you need to turn around and you need to make entrances every day. Instead of making exits, you need to make entrances every day back into the heart of your spouse. Let's move. Let's move. So, Father, thank you so much for this day today, this moment that brings us all together. And we thank you for your word. And I think most of us here all have felt 
have understood at one point in our lives or another the power of love. Because when we're in love with, the, it's with you or you know, that, that first love, that initial love, and even the love that's mature, there is, there is this power that comes behind it. And that power is never, it's never demonstrated just in words alone. It's never demonstrated in well wishes alone or nice thoughts. It always stirs up this undergirding power of assertiveness and movement to do something on behalf of the person that we say we love. And sometimes, God, we know that we can get in these places in our marriages. It doesn't matter. One year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, it doesn't matter. We get these places where we, we're, we're stuck, where we, we know we love each other and we say we love each other, but the initiative and the assertiveness and the action is not there. And I want to make it crystal clear for all of us today that if we say that we love and yet are not sacrificing, if we say that we love and are not being assertive, if we say that we love and are not kind of, there's this, where there's no mutual submission, where we're stuck, I don't want any of us to be confused. It's not love anymore. It's not love anymore. So, Father, thank you for your spirit to be here today. And I pray for every single couple here that you would bring your conviction, that you would bring your confidence, that you would bring your courage, that your love. And that our couples here today, whether they've been married for one month or they've been married for, you know, decades, um, that all around our church, that we'll be having these life-giving conversations. And some of them will be harder than others. But I pray that every couple would have the courage Every wife and every husband would have the courage to say what needs to be said, to be assertive where it needs to be assertive. And it's going to take a lot of vulnerability. Now I pray, I pray that as each couple is receiving each other's words, that they would just be filled with love for their spouse, for the person who's speaking, that they would understand that there is a wide open heart of vulnerability that comes from a place of the deepest love and concern for them. And that they would have this idea and they would know, they would have this clarity that what they're receiving, even though it may be difficult, is just full of love, is love for them. So thank you, Father. Thank you for your healing word. Thank you for your healing movement in all of our lives. And it does not matter how we feel in this moment, how we might look at our marriage at this moment. There is a God who is working to redeem our hearts and our marriages for the glory of God. And nothing, and nothing can stand in front of that. Nothing can stand in the way of that. Because we believe that you are the Lord of our lives and Lord of our marriages. In Christ's name we all pray. Amen. Amen, church. Let's all stand. Let's sing together. to you. 